You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, the podcast that investigates parapsychology and the unexplained to find out why people believe weird things. I'm Kean, and as usual, I'm coming at you from the Wide Atlantic Weird cabin, which is located somewhere in the woods of deepest, darkest Essex. Now, on this episode, I was lucky enough to get my brother Donal on the phone for a lengthy conversation about the 2015 movie The Witch. If you haven't seen it, it's absolutely fantastic. We both highly recommend it. And you should absolutely stop listening now if you haven't seen it, because this episode is going to be spoilerific. So take your time, go off and watch it, then come back to us and listen. I'm here with a nice coffee in the cabin, so I've got nowhere to go, plenty of time to wait, and I'll be right here for you. My brother is a man of academia, and part of his studies allows him to focus on areas of belief in the 17th and 18th centuries. Uh, so for that reason, he has a whole lot to say about this particular movie. It's one of a current crop of recent prestige horror movies that have been getting a lot of good press and a lot of attention from the non-horror world recently. It features a Puritan family somewhere in New England in the 1600s who get kicked out of their own community and find themselves alone in the, in the woods, surrounded by some sort of malicious force, which appears to be a genuine demonic or witch kind of a character. We have a lot to say about this uh, film. We get into some really, really deep and heavy stuff involving the history of religion, the various ideas uh, and the theology that underpins what the Puritans believe. Uh, I'm very interested in witchcraft at the moment. I've been traveling around Essex and um, visiting sites of the witchcraft trials that happened here and I've been reading quite a lot about the Salem witch trials as well. So all that stuff we bring into this conversation. So find yourself somewhere nice to sit, find yourself something nice to drink and settle down for this episode of White Atlantic Weird, the witch, superstition and belief in movies. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. We're, we're talking about the 2015 movie The Witch. Or the the witch, if you wanna if you wanna go by the the literal spelling of it in some versions. Uh, a New England folktale. A New England, the witch, a New England folktale, uh, directed by Robert Eggers, who has a new film out at the moment called The Lighthouse, which I'm keen to see, but I haven't yet. Me neither. Uh, you recommended The Witch to me a few years ago, and I checked it out, and um, you were completely right. I, I really like this one. This will be spoilers all over the shop. Um, we'll be talking about. You know what's good about it, what works for us, what doesn't work for us, what we think it's all about, and um, what makes it so interesting. Would you would you agree that this film is part of a there's there's a bit of a trend at the moment for sort of I don't know prestige horror over the last few years with things like The Lighthouse and and The Witch and movies like Hereditary and It Follows and um, I suppose you could put movies like. Uh, get out in there as well or even even midsummer which i saw last year i I put that in there as these kind of horror films that are kind of getting a bit of critical attention at the moment i think there's always been uh one or two higher level horror movies a year uh but they've tended to be drowned out by the kind of just the onslaught of very very you know run-of-the-mill mass-produced kind of schlock that comes out between september and october every year 
And the thing about the witch, like the witch caught my eye as something that was kind of a radical departure from the standard horror film. And I think actually like, you know, it's coming up on five years since it came out now, or four years actually. And since then, I think there's been a little bit more of an appetite for these higher end horror movies. Uh, We've seen more of them. Like you were just able to list out a bunch, most of which have come out since 2016, 2015 thereabouts when we, you know, when The Witch was released initially and to the kind of film festival circuit and then mass release. So I think I actually would give this a lot of credit as kind of a movie that didn't uh, didn't play it safe. And I think that's, that's the number one thing that I liked about it because I've always had, you know, uh, a bit of a grow for horror movies. But like once you see enough of them, it just becomes so unbearably formulaic and repetitive. And every like everything about The Witch to me just suggested and demonstrated like real... Uh, authorial independence from formula and a confidence in the general idea of the movie you know yeah yeah no i i really enjoyed it and i watched it again this week and i still enjoy it i it did strike me differently this time and i have things to say about it uh, and a few things just i don't know landed differently for me this time but yeah absolutely no question it's it's made you know it, it's it's done by somebody who who's brave and yeah, has a vision and all that kind of all that stuff so no question about it that it's it's a bit of an achievement yeah and i think for me the thing that i like the most about it is that there's you know the kind of the dark side of religion is just such a played out trope in you know very nondescript boring horror movies like you know in the in the kind of sort of pantheon maybe i'm not an expert in this and i'm probably overlooking a few but like the pantheon are kind of like great horror movies that are kind of like drawing upon a religious theme. Obviously, you've got The Exorcist, and then that spawned bazillions of, you know, just very, <laughs> very low-brow, dull, repetitive, like all the kind of like crappy tropes are just there, churned out with any real thought. And then, like, the other thing that this movie could have fallen into, so you've got the whole, like, you know, subpar Exorcist, scary religion, oh no, stuff. And, but you've also got, like, oh, like kids are the picture of innocence and therefore if they're (laughs) you know if they're in a scene or scenario where any malevolence is suggested like it's 50 times scarier you know like yeah that's like the lowest hanging fruit for the for the kind of hack horror director the the, the omen subcategory of horror yeah and the omen is a decent movie but i mean that's like 55 years old or something like that you know what i mean and we're still just having like you know, children standing with blank expressions in stairwells, <laughs> yeah. and like the like done, scared done. You know, yeah, children, um, of the, children, village of the damned type stuff. Yeah, blank expressions on kids, just like all those, uh, the kind of movies like the kind of like mixing a bit of like some of that formula from the Omen with the kind of like visual storytelling of like the Saw movies. Yeah. Jump jump cuts, quick zoom ins and zoom outs, yeah, you know, there's pretend n- there's none of that in the rated footage. Yeah, nothing. You know, it's the 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 value or the, the attribute that I value highest in movies these days is just like patient storytelling, uh, where they where the I guess a combination of the script and the director and the cinematographer trust the audience to take visual cues yeah and 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 if that requires more than one viewing so be it you know, so be it something, yeah something that struck me watching the movie again i just rewatched it last night is that much as i love the evil dead the kind of manic um camera shots racing through the forest 
have kind of, you know, like stuff like that has become part of the kind of established um, toolkit for, again, hack kind of horror movie directors. Whereas the witch just places the camera in front of a forest at some distance away and just has it moving just ever so slightly and just suggests that there's something dangerous, something scary, something yeah. not quite right with the forest. And they trust you to get this. Obviously, the sound design is superb. You've got that sort of terrifying 2000, 2001 Space Odyssey, like spooky choir thing going on whenever. This, this is very much folk horror, I think, which is a, a very popular kind of a thing at the moment. Um, Midsummer is another exa- example of more of contemporary folk horror. But like all those shots where they just show the forest and you don't see anything but that alone is enough to tip you off that something is wrong. And it, it's just, it's all about the, the, the comparison between, you know, civilization and, and wilderness and, you know, the little home that they've carved out for themselves uh, versus this much bigger kind of wilderness that's about to swallow them up. And it's, it's all very well done. Yeah, and it's like the big theme of the movie really is about the psychological torment of a true believer. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, the particular particularities of, you know, the... I suppose the Puritan or Calvinist or Presbyterian uh, faith and how much, you know, sort of psychological doubt is part and parcel of that. And then, you know, like the visual metaphor of you're looking into the, the forest, which is, you know, partially visible to you, but also there's, a, there's, you know, an unseen depth within, you know, mirrors the human mind and the psychology of, you know, someone who thinks they could perhaps be doing good works, but may in fact underneath it all, in the depths of their kind of, the wood of their mind be a sinner, right? That's the whole... Yeah, metaphor there, I think as well. What went what, we out into the wilderness to find, as he says? Yeah, and he says, uh, <laughs> "Corruption, thy out, thy, thou art my father." Right? Yes. That's the thing that the father, the father character says before Black Philip sends him off to his <laughs> eternal damnation. Very quickly, um, there there had there's been some there's been some argument online about whether or not this qualifies as even being a horror movie, and I I think there's no question because watching it again this week. Uh, brings it to me as it, it's genuinely scary it's it's spooky it's unsettling it's not over the top except occasionally when it does it does bring the horror front and center and it's very effective when it does that perhaps because it doesn't do it very often i mean so you mentioned that this is an example of folk horror early on so um earlier on i don't know exactly what that is so could you tell me what that is and then also like what would the argument be I think I would be inclined to agree with you. This horror movie is just a sophisticated psychological horror. But like, what what's the argument to say that it isn't a horror movie? And then what aspects of it make it like folk horror as a subgenre? I, yeah, I don't have much to say about it not being horror. It's just people saying not much happens, and I think people who are kind of raised to consume far more intense horror movies where a lot more things happen and the scares are much more obvious. Whereas this is a slow burn. It's more unsettling. Making it folk horror is is a bit of a trendy name thrown around now, but it does come from the seventies originally. It's basically originally a British type of subgenre, which is horror that focuses on landscape, um, countryside, people, traditions, and and culture. So the classic folk horror movies are like The Wicker Man, and yeah. um, and and stuff like that. The Blood and Satan's Claws, another one which isn't as well known, but they're both very they 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 often have these long slow shots of the landscape where nothing's happening and yet it makes it makes it unsettling somehow nice mm. yeah, that sounds good it's about the relationship between people and the land so th- running throughout the witch is this a feeling that 
you're dealing with a colonization situation where these people do not understand where they are and what what's around them and what's outside them and potentially their own worldview is not constructed to allow them to understand it and and we'll talk about this later but there's obviously a little bit of in you know how much is real and how much is is psychological or how much is part of their interpretation of things yeah um which actually i i felt differently about this time when i watched it compared to before but we'll get to that and we better do it just a, this is a spoiler one for people who've seen the film but just in case we before we get too much further we should do a very quick rundown of what happens um we it's a, we're dealing with a, a family of of puritans presumably somewhere in new england um, being banished from a colony. I presume it's sometime in the 1600s. The... Yeah, I, I, it strikes me as about the 1630s, and they're probably in, like, the Plymouth colony. Now, the the shadow of the, the Salem witch trials, of course, looms long over all of this. It's never directly mentioned. We've no idea whether it's even the same state or, or the same time time period, but um, it's, it's just such a huge thing for American history and American culture. It's left such a long shadow over over the way they see themselves so it's impossible to make uh, i think any kind of witch movie set in new england especially anywhere within 100 years of that time and not be reminded of it and um, the that was 1692 which is pretty late in the game when it comes to any sort of witch witch hunts or witch trials anywhere in the world honestly and um, which yeah, is one, one that was that was uh, the the witch trials in salem were kind of like uh, a revival of sorts to that kind of uh you know, more aggressive puritanical Christianity that had actually kind of lapsed, uh, lapsed a little bit in most of the colonies. But New England was where kind of like religion, New England and to a lesser extent Pennsylvania was where like religion was at the forefront of the kind of establishment of those communities. Like some of the other colonies at that time were basically secular. I mean, there were, everyone was, you know, nominally Christian, but their governing structures were kind of divined from, there's an ironic phrase there, <laughs> divine from like principles of basic you know kind of like liberalism or embryonic liberalism whereas in new england in particular with the puritans and then pennsylvania with the quakers it was really like their governance structures were directly taken from uh their religious beliefs remember like the thing about it is right the puritans were the hardest of the hardcore protestants who were so extreme in their views that they were I mean, kicked out of England, really. Yeah, yeah. It's like the old classic: "You can't fire me, I quit." <laughs> as, as to you, whether or not you they can't depress me, you can't depress me. I'm going to go somewhere else and oppress people there. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For but religious like, reasons. They didn't have anyone uh, weeping at the pier in Southampton <laughs> as they were getting on the boats to get the hell out of there. I'm actually quite close here in Essex to where um, a lot of those ships went. They would have gone from parts of South Essex, like Tilbury and places like that. The Mayflower would have gone from there. So. Ah, very good. Yeah, and actually, I've been recently doing, and I've got an upcoming episode on this, but I've been doing a tour of the the witch trial towns all around Essex. So Essex is sometimes known as the Witch County, and obviously in the Matthew Hopkins days, so again, 1600s, a bit earlier than, than the Salem trials, but, you know, a lot of that stuff happened here as well, and, I mean, some of that culture was exported over there for sure. Oh, yeah, big time. And, and again, like the 1600s is an incredibly tumultuous time in England. You have a, a very long civil war that takes really decades to, to resolve in any clear way. And interestingly enough, it results on the side of a pretty broad sense of like what you know would later be called like religious toleration, where most strands of Protestantism are accepted, uh, although you had to be a kind of a, a card-carrying member of the Church of Art, uh, England 
in order to be um, allowed to hold a, sort of a government position. But in general, uh, throughout the 1600s, you know, there were increasing numbers of Protestant sects of every possible persuasion, from ranters to diggers to Quakers to Foxers to the Puritans, who all believed in different things. And because, again, this was a time of such, you know, really, really, really extreme violence between you know, different religious groups, uh, different political groups, where you got royalists, republicans, all the rest of it. This is the time of um, Cromwell and all the rest of them, where a lot of people believed that they were living in the end times and that there was, like, no alternative but to live as dedicated a religious life as you possibly could in accordance with your sort of conscience or interpretation of the scripture because, you know, you were about to face the rapture at any minute. So, like, there's, there's an unrelenting quality to the kind of religious beliefs that make this movie, in my opinion, so kind of captivating. Like, that's it's all about how much and how strongly they believe in their religion, and part of the reason why they would is because of that kind of context in England in which they were emerging out of. Interestingly, I've come across this idea in my reading this week that uh, witch hunting and witch trials were, even though in the popular imagination we, we you will see them regarded as being something that came from these intolerant religious officials by and large they were local events done by local groups and usually not with the agreement of any sort of um overarching church authorities either before or after the reformation uh, certainly not certainly before and that in fact the biggest ones that were done here in england in in the matthew hopkins days happened during the civil war precisely because there was no central authority in huge parts of england and also in salem uh, during a period when they were cut off from the home colonies and they had no true governance and they had no true set of laws to follow and again it was in a, in a more minor way it was a, a period of of chaos and turmoil in which these you know these superstitions came to the fore and were acted upon in more extreme ways than they usually were yeah, well, you see, one of the things about Puritanism as a, as a set of religious beliefs as well is that it's it's a very decentralized and almost democratic sort of set of beliefs, and they're very violent in their rejection of what's called episcopacy, which is like a government by bishops, you know, or, the, or church hierarchy. And so one of the reasons why England became untenable for these very extreme Puritan believers was because when they looked at the Church of England, it was still too similar uh, to the Catholic Church, with regards to its hierarchical structures and you know i mean to an untrained eye if you if you just came down from mars and looked at the catholic church and the church of england i mean they're pretty uh indistinguishable in lots of, in lots of ways even today and so what a lot of these um puritans would have thought is that you know it's up to us at ground level to to live our lives we're not supposed to take instruction from those above us um it also have a distrust of power in general that, you know, if you were to get your, your ass in a hot seat of any description, you know, the temptation, literally, like, I mean, satanic temptation to abuse that power would be virtually irresistible, sure, you know? Sure, I um, suppose a, a committed Catholic or even a C of E person might say, well, the cost of that is the constant fracture fracturing of of the, the belief systems, the constant fracturing of the communities that believe them and I, I wonder is that something the puritans just accepted as being well that it, it, that's worth it's better to have that and and allow ourselves to seek truth individually um rather than to take it from somebody else well it's one of the ironies of protestantism in general is that like it just it's constantly uh breaking up into smaller and smaller and smaller countries because it encourages that sort of you know uh democratic level of you know 
figured out yourself that you know luther had the principle of sola scriptura which means like scripture alone um you know you don't need anyone to interpret interpret scripture for you and you know again if you're going to be coalesced into being told what scripture means well then uh you know you're clearly being manipulated uh by someone who's in the pocket of the devil or something like that and but the but the bizarre thing about it is that you know they that would then you would expect people who think that everybody has the you know kind of god-given right to read scripture and interpret it for themselves would therefore allow and accept multiple interpretations but the puritans <laughs> didn't at all they were like the king the kings of intolerance and i mean that's that's one of the things like is really well captured just in that first scene in, in the witch when the family gets banished from the yes. room again the plymouth colony and you hear that uh the father of the family basically says like you know my conscience will not permit me to live amongst those who are you know betraying the scripture and here again, have, you have further frac. You know, you have a tiny colony which has broken off from England, and now you have more breakoffs because of the, the fervency of the belief. Yeah, exactly. And there's no question. Like, there's no compromise. There's no go along to get along. If you're going to take your religious belief seriously, and when you read the, the scripture, your conscience tells you something about what it means and how you're supposed to follow up on it, you cannot accept. So, that's, again, that's the thing about Protestantism that made it spawn. You know, just countless. <laughs> micro offshoots i have to say when when I'm, I'm not a fan of either i'm not a follower of either side really but when folks on the protestant side you know over history have tended to characterize catholics as being overly superstitious and catholicism of course came up with um you know worship of saints and bilocation and miracles and uh, stigmata and such things but it was the the more looseness of uh, protestantism that allowed them to come up with you know, spiritualism and wrapping tables and talking to ghosts and all of that stuff, which is, you know, still around in various Speaking capacities. That could, you know, that could never have come from something as more tightly controlled as the Catholic Church, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, like, the Catholic Church is against this. Uh, it's something that I'm going to quote from this book that I actually just got recently. It's called Permanent Revolution, the Reformation and the Illiberal Roots of Liberalism Ouch. by James Simpson. <laughs> and so he's calling it Permanent Revolution because he says within sort of the DNA of Protestantism itself, uh, therein contains this this gene that constantly multiplies and mutates and multiplies and mutates, whereas, you know, the Catholic Church is about universality. You know, we're going to define the principles that cover the entirety of, of humanity, you know? Quick question for you. When they, when they get, so uh, to get back to the witch, when they are either kicked out of the colony or voluntarily leaving, depending on how you want to interpret it, you can't fire me or quit. Um, they're accused by the, the people in the colony of, uh, they're accused of pride, basically. And yeah. I, I'm wondering, so, yeah. So the pride there would be that the father uh, believes in his interpretation over that of the community. Yeah. And so instead of it be him being led by his conscience, which would be, you know, divine in nature, he's being led by his pride, which is sinful. devilish and devilish and sinful. And I hope it isn't trite of me, but I couldn't I couldn't not think when they're leaving. And there's that wonderful shot of um, them in the in the back of the cart and they're pulling out of the colony and the gates close behind them. And you only you only see the colony for like a fraction of a, just a minute or two, really, don't you, at the very beginning? And uh, apart from that, the whole film is so isolating and so um, you're, in su you're in such a remote location and just that one tiny little glimpse of civilization. But uh, the, I suppose the phrase being kicked out of the garden came into my head, if you want to go biblical on it. 
Absolutely. And it's far from Absolutely. the only far from the only uh, biblical um, reference here. Oh yeah, for sure. We've got the apple that the sun vomits up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the poison apple. I think as well something that's you know um, worth noting is that in that shot, as they're leaving, you just see those gates close. You see two Native Americans. Yeah, yeah. Walk by, which is definitely a pregnant uh, yeah. little little scene. You know, yeah. I mean, that's the only example that we're, we're given or demonstration that we're given that, you know, these are foreigners, outsiders. And I think the Puritans are, you know, you mentioned that the abiding association is of Salem and all this. So, you know, when I the first thing I think of when I think of Puritans is uh, Thanksgiving and how kind of, you know, trite that's the presentation that Puritans has become. It's like a, it's it's a costume that people wear and it's. You know, it's just a little fun thing where buckles on oh, the hat. We, you know, yeah, when we first <laughs> arrived, there was a little bit of hardship, and then everybody broke bread together, and things were great. And you realize that, you know, in lots of ways, these guys were uh, theocratic maniacs. You know, <laughs> well, that and little... like I said again, the hardest of the hardcore had to be kicked out of England. You know, came <laughs> and they're establishing like a very, very stern unforgiving unrelenting religious society in an unforgiving landscape too you know yeah maybe it had to be them to make their way in that world who knows so from that book that i just mentioned uh, james simpson's permanent revolution so he's talking actually about how essentially the kind of chaos of um the reformation in england is what made liberalism necessary so it's like liberalism, which includes things like freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of association, um, uh, to religious toleration, uh, representative government, you know, constitutional monarchy, all these things that kind of come about as a result of what's sometimes called the Glorious Revolution in 1688. This is all made necessary by the, the kind of traits that we're talking about here from extreme hardline um, religious people, not, not least the Puritans. So he says that we can, the central features of early modern evangelical culture can be crudely and quickly summarized as thus. So this is, this is what we're thinking. So we're watching the witch and we're thinking about what's going on in these, these characters' heads to make them behave as such. These are, this is what's going on. So quote, enslavement of the will with total repudiation of works as currency in the economy of salvation. I'll just explain that quickly. The idea is that if you want to be saved, i.e. go to heaven, uh, good works have nothing to do with it. This is total repudiation of works as currency in the economy of salvation. So essentially, the only way you can get to heaven is if God chooses you. So if you're the language that Calvinists would use for this is to be elect. And so that's a lot of the psychological torment of Puritans is that they can never really tell if what they're doing is demonstration of them being chosen by God to be elect, or if they're simply doing good works out of a prideful desire to be seen to be doing good things. So it's a life of sort of terrible doubt. He continues here saying, uh, so the, uh, and this makes people live in a permanent shadow of despair, which I think we see in the movie. A sense of self subject to an impossibly high bar of authenticity. So this is all about why am I doing what am I do what I'm doing? Am I doing it because I'm a good person or am I doing it because I'm prideful? So you're trying to be authentic all the time. For, forever vulnerable to the charge of hypocrisy. A fear of dramatic performativity, uh, now described as seductive, irrational, and lethal magic. 
repudiation of images, both material and psychic, as the destructive allurements of idolatry. So, not allowed to have uh, images. Cer certainly not of goats. <laughs> <laughs> either mental or, or um, material. So again, it's not just a case that we have to have barren churches, but the idea that your mind could be tantalized with the kind of images that, again, uh, papists would like to hypnotize you with is still, <laughs> that's a potential corruption. There's obsessive focus on the literalist written as the source of salvation. So that means um, literalist interpretation of the Bible and non-toleration for freedom of religious conscience. So again, that's why uh, this family has to be kicked out of the colony because they're not allowed to have a, uh, a conscientious objection to the religious interpretation found um, in the, the society itself. So you see, it's it's a grim, grim, grim worldview, where if you take it seriously, you have a lot of baggage. And and this movie does take it seriously. And one of the things you mentioned long ago when you recommended it first was just how rare how rarely movies treat religion with this sort of seriousness. You know, usually they either don't consider it at all or they, they bring it up just to be dismissive of it. Whereas this film, we can, we can talk about whether or not we think the film has a has a positive or a negative take on it, but it, it never for a moment um, lets it go as, as, as anything less than like the most important aspect of their life and like the way that they interpret the world. There's a question for you since we're in the, the land of spoilers. So the kind of the dramatic, I suppose, the source of tension throughout the movie is whether or not the daughter is a witch. Yeah. And you're kind of, you're generally on her side, but you're, you're also given reasons to doubt and to be unsure. And, you know, it seems pretty clear from the get-go that there definitely is a witch. There's yeah. definitely something malevolent at play. How, whether or not Thomason, the daughter, is involved or not is the big question. Now, at the end, she goes off, she submits to Satan, basically, and goes off into the woods and has some, some naked floating fun <laughs> with the other witches. Do you think that she was pure until she submitted to the devil's sort of... Uh, he's a Lucifer, really, rather than the devil, because he's got the goatee. I always think of that as the Mephisto, core distinction. Yeah, that, that image comes from, um, is it Mephistopheles? Is he the guy from Faust? Uh, yes, he's he's that the idea of like the devil as a gentleman with a little tidy beard and a, and a black mustache. Yeah, uh, I my my big question was whether indeed there was a witch because I remember this being a lot more ambiguous than I found it this time. I remember it being a bit more sort of up in the air as to whether or not the witch was a real external threat or whether this was coming from them and their their interpretations of 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 the world. And, and watching it again, I, I feel like there really is something. I, th I think the only way to avoid that is to go hard and heavy into, you know, unreliable narrator territory because multiple characters see supernatural things happening very clearly at different times. And sometimes the viewers see supernatural things happening not from the direct point of view of a character. So I, I, think, I think it's tough to make a case that this is entirely psychological or entirely their projection and that I think Eggers, if this is really a horror film and something scary is happening, I think you have to, you don't have to, it's an interpretation, but I had a tough, I had a tougher time seeing the ambiguity this time. Yeah. I, I just remember thinking the last time I saw it that, oh, she was a witch this whole time. It was her. They were right. Yeah. I and don't, I don't think I, so. When no. I watched it last night now, it felt as though she had a kind of a, the opposite of a uh, 
demasign conversion <laughs> where you know he puts he puts her hand on the or the devil puts his hand on uh, her shoulder and basically says do you want to see the world right yeah well, what he's done here is he's taken something which was old and hackneyed and trite you know like witch as a as a folkloric figure and made it genuinely scary again he's taken all of the things those people would have believed about the devil and about witchcraft and about you know uh, the the forces of darkness and and made them literally real, and you know it's stuff you would have sniggered at in another context because it just seems so outlandish, and somehow he makes it scary again. Like we're just, it's, I think the main thing is that we're just so used to seeing cartoon witches um, and Halloween costume witches and yeah. not just that, but also we're used to seeing a kind of a a portrayal of religious believers as you know, cynical manipulators of available power structures in order to increase their, you know, relative leverage over others. You know, like, like in, in the kind of radically secular world that we live in today, you know, in comparison to, let's say, New England in the 1630s, we're just like, ah, none of them could have ever believed this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, a set of principles and a code of behavior that, you know, if they enforced it, they could climb up the social ladder and have discipline and, and power over others. Yeah. You think like, no, this is like people really did like fight and die and emigrate and establish colonies and societies on the basis of these things, which they firmly and profoundly believed. And, you know, we have such a jaded eye to this kind of stuff because I don't know, we've just been kind of rendered incapable of, of seeing that people could believe this stuff and and, and they believed it, they literally believed in witches you know which seems mm-hmm. we seem it's it's almost as if we when we look at this material and the, and the witch trials and, and the witch hunts and stuff as well in europe also it's almost as if we have to interpret it through like any other lens we we're comfortable saying oh you know there were economic reasons for this or it was a you know a gender thing or it was some sort of power thing and you know all of those things are part of the story too but people literally believed in witchcraft you know <laughs> yeah and and again the, the whole good thing like that's why some of these lines like corruption thou art my father it's it shows you like you know they believe very strongly in the idea of the stained soul and you know living with a corrupted nature as a result of original sin and you know the kind of omnipresent and effervescent temptations of the devil like constantly you have to remember like a lot of these i, I don't know which exact sect of believers we're dealing with in this movie but like a lot of these people think thought that you know human nature is essentially that of an empty empty vessel like and you're either puppeteered by god through divine intervention or you're puppeteered toward you know sin and malice by the devil and that's it you know yeah. and that you're, you're you're more easily manipulated by the devil you know and so like it makes sense for them to believe in witches because evil and sin and all that kind of stuff. It's a living force in their lives at all times. Like, but like again, like they're they're scared that every thought they have could betray themselves to be an agent of the supreme evil. And if that's your worldview, like you're on the lookout for things. Like part of the reason why a witch is unacceptable is that a witch can drag you down into the abyss with her. You know. Yeah. And again, we just were just so jaded to the to the idea that people could believe stuff like this. You know, like so many people are like, "Ah, oh, I'd say Osama bin Laden wasn't even a Muslim." Like, yeah, oh no, he just hated America. Because do, do you remember all the stories that oh he hated America because like he he did a year of college there and he like some woman laughed at his dick or something. You know, this does anything except 
to accept that people believe things. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. There's a there's a huge um, disinclination towards the power of ideas to motivate action in kind of in social science in general. Uh, everyone wants material explanations and wants to deny the power of ideas, but like, I mean, especially in a world where there's like comparatively infinitely less stimulation than there is now, like all all they had was ideas. Yeah. And those songs that the little kids sings. Oh, those two kids are so scary. <laughs> I don't know what it is about them, you know, because like I was saying earlier on, there's so <laughs> many bad. There's so many bad kids in horror movies, and those <laughs> kids are brilliant. And they don't do anything particularly scary. They just sing songs and talk about black film. Black like all these things. They're hokey, like you know, like oh, the devil represented by a black goat. That's hokey as as hell. And yet this movie makes it scary. And like you have a. A witch as an old crone who literally goes, nye, 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 and that bit is chilling, you know, <laughs> and it shouldn't be. Yeah, it's very good. It's very good. <laughs> uh, do you think the the portrayal of religion in this is is positive or not? You know, is this a? I, I guess it depends on whether you not you think that their worldview has caused them to see witches everywhere and there isn't one, or is if the witchcraft and the and the, the you know the devil is real, you know. You have to have you. You then have to accept the idea that well, their faith is the only thing that might be able to help them. You know. Well, you know what I think is at the end of the day, it's accurate. You know, it's he got a lot of the dialogue from diaries and secondary accounts from the period. This is how people with those beliefs express them in their own words. And so crucially, it's, from it's, the trials too. So the scene at the end where the devil appears to Thomason, that's I like that's from which I've I've read that stuff in like Margaret Murray's books, which I don't recommend, but she did She did take a lot of the trial records verbatim, so I have read some of that stuff before. There was a lot of, you know, the devil appeared to me as a handsome young man or as a as a black pig or a black goat. So, <laughs> you know, as cheesy as that stuff is, he's taking it from the original sources. Yeah, I mean, see, the thing about it is, right, like, again, if, if you're going to try and interpret the way in which religion is used in this movie, it's... You could you could kind of credibly present it one way or the other, just because it all depends on what version of of, of Christianity you adhere to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like these people could look completely insane to one believer, like a devout believer, and could make total sense to another. To me, at least, for someone who's kind of like done a fair bit of research on the kind of variety of Protestant beliefs that were on the scene in those days, like this is a very accurate psychological portrayal of you know, a version of Calvinism. Yeah. That that I've seen represented all look like, you know, I, I tend to do work more on the late 17th and early 18th centuries, so be after this, but it's the same essential belief system, and this is what believers really, this is how they saw the world. Yeah. Incidentally, I have another book here that's got a good quote. So this is called The Battle for God, A History of Fundamentalism. And it's by Karen Armstrong. So she's writing here about the Puritans, giving it a little bit of a, another um, definition. So she said they were radical Calvinists who started by opposing what they deemed the popery of the Church of England. And they also had an extreme tumultuous spirituality. They're born-again conversions. So this is someone who's joining the faith as an adult. Uh, were often traumatic. Many experienced an agony of guilt, fear, and paralyzing doubt before the breakthrough when they sank blissfully into the arms of God. Their conversion gave them great energy and enabled them to play leading roles in early modernity. This is the kind of Max Weber, the Protestant work ethic thesis. They were good capitalists and often good scientists, 
Um, the reason for this is me editorializing here. The reason why a lot of people believe that uh, Protestants were so profound in the in the emergence of the modern world was because again, you have to be doing good deeds uh, to demonstrate that you're not being puppeteered by Satan. Uh, then she so Karen Armstrong continues here. Uh, but sometimes the effects of grace wore off and Puritans suffered a relapse, falling into chronic depressive states and in a few cases even committing suicide. So again, the idea is that, uh, you know, it's a heavy, heavy psychological burden to live with this uh, belief set, I suppose. Yeah. And that's why, that's why the movie works for me, is that they take that belief set seriously and you see it really developed in a well-made cinematography. Uh, with, with very strong cinematography, <laughs> like the, vis the visual storytelling is, is, is top class. You were saying that they don't go for all the fast shots. There's a lot of slow. There, there's a very painterly kind of approach. Do you, do you know the shot where they they bury the boy and it's a long shot of them like standing next to the grave and it, it holds it for about a minute and you're not even sure if it's a still image or not because even yes. the smoke coming out of the chimney is barely moving and it's like it's got this sort of, you know, old Dutch masters sort of a vibe to it. Yeah, it's a bit like Stanley Kubrick did a movie in the 70s called Barry Lyndon. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. But that's, that's, that's I mean, that's a glacially slow movie. But there are, again, there's lots of scenes that look like 18th century uh, uh, landscape painting. Uh, but and then you slowly realize, oh, there's something moving here. Yeah. But to me, again, it's just about patient storytelling, using the visual to, to dictate the narrative. And... The only kind of, you know, like we're t I was talking earlier on about like the tropes of horror movies that just I'm absolutely sick of, can't handle anymore. You know, there's there's no spring-loaded anything <laughs> in this movie, really. The only kind of version of that to try and give you a jump scare are all in the sound design. So there's there are some harsh editing cuts from one scene to another. And when the, so the beat is slightly off. So, so it just doesn't go with the natural, well, what feels like a natural rhythm to shift from one scene to the other. And when that scene changes, there's a sharp injection of a high volume sound. And a lot of the movie is actually quite si silent or with just, just a low kind of dissonant, uh, unsettling, drone. creepy, kind of droney, uh, like Philip Glass, you know, <laughs> like Philip, Philip Glass. Glass, if he got a bang on the head kind of, yeah, I like kind of music. <laughs> and, um, and that's something that is actually very much um, in The Exorcist as well, in terms of lots of very, uh, you know, kind of nothing quite happening scenes, but where there's just a feeling of, you know, discomfort, something's not quite right. And then as we cut to the next scene, maybe the sound design just gives you that little, oh, jolt to say, like, oh, things are not right. Like, there's a really good version of that in The Exorcist where... I think you see the priest in the church and everything's really quiet and the next scene is the mother in the kitchen and she breaks a plate and so the first yeah. thing you hear is a smash and you're like oh you know, just get that and it's the same there's a lot of that with the animals with the kids making sort of you know innocent kiddish sounds <laughs> and everything about like it just feels utterly convincing doesn't it as a period piece the the accents and the use of language and the you know it never sounds like cod shakespeare like we said, yeah, and the, and the clothes, clothes are really good too. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, re I really felt that, and you know, like little things signify, uh, you know, changes in the characters. You see Thomason and also the mother; they take off their little hats, and the hair comes down, and that's sort of symbolic of you know, like the hair falls, like yeah. the fall of man, and yeah, you know, and the, the, the release from the more you know structured 
mindset that they have at the beginning as they sort of go down the spiral. Yeah, and of course they're like lowering, lowering their guard towards sin, and yeah, you know, yeah, just perfect, like things yeah. like that go a long way. Yeah, I thought the mother is really good. Huh? She like has a has the perfect face. You know, she's got oh, that hard, hard lines, yeah. chiseled in features. Yeah, and she doesn't look that old. She just looks like she's lived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And once what's really interesting when her hair comes down, like you're kind of it's a, it's a nice blonde color. You're happy expecting it to be like. White. You know, just, yeah, just completely white because she's been drained by this hard, hard life. So, one, we, we've talked a lot about the, the religion of the point of view characters. I want to get back to the witch itself just for a moment. I don't know if you know much about the, the what they call the 80s satanic panic, but, you know, there was a period of time when this belief was going around, mostly in America, but but also in, in Britain and Australia and a few other places, um, that kids were being ritually abused in... Uh, often it was like daycare centers and stuff like that, um, and this uh, basically there was no. It was all witness testimony from little kids that was taken out of them by means that we would now consider leading and deeply unethical. There was never any any evidence found for any of this stuff, and most of the allegations were quite quite ludicrous. But people spent years in jail for this. Um, now there's a film called The House of the Devil. I think it's from two thousand and nine. And it's set in the 80s during the satanic panic and they make out like it was real. So they, it's, a, it's a straight horror film in which the, the baddies, the, you know, the evil, the horror comes from the fact that these like satanic groups are literally real and they're doing all the things that people believe they did in the 80s. Now, I enjoy it. It's a fun film. but And it's interesting to see that sort of imaginary boogeyman put up there on screen as if it was real, you know, and it was, it's all made out to be just like people claimed it was. But, you know, rightly enough, some people have said, well, that's a bit problematic because you're taking something which was an imagined boogeyman, which had real consequences for people, and you're just saying, oh, we're just going to put it up there as like a, you know, a scary monster for a movie. And a little bit of that came into my head watching The Witch again this time, because again, we have a situation where... Um, you know, I mean, I don't believe there were witches in New England in those days, and yet people were killed as witches in those days. And here we have a film where it does seem to be an external real witch not coming from the imagination of the characters, if we're interpreting it that way. And the film is saying, yeah, it's fine, we're going to use this as a legitimate, you know, scary horror movie monster. And one of the criticisms I read about it, which... I, you know, it just made me think a little bit. One, one of the reviews said this film has a lot of potential, but the problem is it goes from Arthur Miller's The Crucible to Dennis Wheatley's The Devil Rides Out, you know, within an hour. The idea being... Oh, that's, that's, that's too harsh, I think. Yeah, no, I'm, it, it is. But I, the, the point is, like, there's more than one way of looking at something like the witchcraft hysteria, and it's one thing to say, you know, people, bad things were done in the name of this belief... And then it's another thing to say, oh, but it's perfectly fine to use imaginary witch boogeyman as, you know, a, a creature in your in your horror movie. Yeah, I know what you mean. So I think, like, if I was writing the script or whatever, the ending I would like would be where the father, let's say, you know, takes it upon himself to kill his whole family in order to cleanse the evil. And then at the end, like, he looks down at the blood in his hands and realizes, you know, he's he's lost the plot and he's been misled by his own sort of you know, the failures of his own perception, right? Or maybe right. that's just us with our contemporary view being unable to 
deal, yeah, deal with a story that you know takes this stuff literally is that the problem yeah, maybe yeah if that, if, yeah <laughs> I know I'm going back and forth here. I think the reason I'm going... If that's what happened, maybe I wouldn't have liked the portrayal so much. Yeah, yeah. Before I forget, uh, you should check out... I haven't actually listened to it myself yet. There's a new podcast out from CBC, which is the Canadian public broadcaster. It's called... You might want to write this down. It's definitely well up your alley. It's called Front Burner Presents Uncover Satanic Panic. Oh, I'm all about that. (laughs) The blurb here says, Throughout the 1980s, satanic cults were widely believed to be terrorizing and torturing children. There were hundreds of false allegations and countless lives torn apart, but never any real proof. Yeah, I'm, I'm so fascinated I, by that stuff. What you're talking about there is the countless lives torn apart. Um, and maybe it's just because we have so much time between now and the 16 whatevers, we can say, ah, sure, we'll, we can have a bit of fun with witches. Whereas maybe <laughs> having fun with something where the, like some of the people who were very negatively affected by this are actually still on the go. My only criticism of the film, I think, and what, what made me the reason I didn't dismiss that criticism and it actually made me think was maybe the film is a little uneven in its in, in whether or not we're supposed to accept that yeah, yes witches are real and terrifying and scary and you know the people who burned them were right or is this a psychological thriller as well as being a horror film and maybe it's it's you know it's a little questionable as to whether it's entirely real and I'm not sure it's not that I need films to always I don't want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger on the commentary to Total Recall saying that, <laughs> you know, no, this isn't uh, up in the air. I did kill all those bad guys, you know. I don't need it to be black and white. But I wonder if, if I watch the film again, is it the case that there, there's a little inconsistency there? Well, I take huge umbrage to your criticism of Schwarzenegger <laughs> as, a, as a proud devotee of his cult. Well... Anyway, regardless, I recommend the film. If you haven't seen it and you've we've spoiled it for you, go and watch it anyway. Um, I might start to wrap up just for time reasons. Do you have any final thoughts on the film or anything you wanted to say that we didn't get around to? Uh, yeah, I just double down on the on the recommendation. To me, the two best films I think that I've seen in the last long time really uh, are this and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, and again, that's just, great just too. To, echo what i've been saying it's the reason i like them is because they're they're edited beautifully with excellent cinematography and patient narrative um to deliver it through visual storytelling you know it's it's all about the way in which you can weave a tapestry on screen and trust the audience to make sense of what's before their eyes and so few films that you know get anything approximating a major release you know really do that yeah. and even even good movies I think are kind of maybe just beholden to the pressure to, to, to think, you know, maybe some executive comes in and says, you really think that these schmucks are going to be able to understand that? <laughs> and I think The Witch is the kind of movie you watch multiple times, you will pick up on different things, you will see, you know, a lot of those uh, wide shots. Yeah. yeah, a lot of those wide shots are pregnant with, you know, with, with interpretive possibilities, even though there's not much visually on the screen in weird ways. It's just, it's a really great film. The pacing is on point. I mean, I think we have to say as well, those actors yeah. are all fantastic. Yeah. Even e- the kids. Even the kids, the, oh my days, yeah. The father is incredible. Is the way he delivers his lines. And like you said, it never feels like, you know, Shakespeare in the park. <laughs> Delivering out the, the these and the thous. I'd be the witch of the wood. Oh, that scene is so creepy and nothing happens in it. It's just... 
or when she's uh, toying with the sister, is yeah, it? Yeah, well, it just comes it comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? That the the little girl Mercy just starts saying, "Ah, be the witch of the wood," and no one has mentioned witches or witchcraft or anything up until that point, and there's no frame of reference for it, and it's yeah. as if something has come from the forest into her head. You know, something has come out of the surrounding threatening area and has just infected her, and from there on, it just gets worse. Did you notice as well? So before the the young girl comes over to them at the brook where. They're uh, cleaning the, the... Thomason is cleaning the clothes and the sun comes over as well. Do you notice that the sun has a kind of a, a look at his sister's cleavage? Yeah, there's all sorts of... So there's, again, there's the, the temptations of the flesh. Again, that's reason for doubt. Oh, I had one thought this, this time around, actually, before I wrap up. Um, you know, Thomason says to the father, you know he's telling her she's a witch basically and all these things are going wrong or because like you're a witch and she says something like well what if all these things going wrong isn't because i'm a witch what if it's because you're crap at <laughs> your life out in the frontier you can't hunt you can't uh, you can't farm you know all he can do is chop wood and then i realized that yeah they all they ever show him doing is chop like the one time he tries to go hunting he nearly blows his face off and that's true he, yeah. he can't grow any corn and all he can do is chop wood and they show him chopping wood about five times and it's almost like the like his frustration is mounting and the the pile of wood gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's absolutely ridiculous by the end of the film and then don't forget when when black philip kind of what's the word fucks him or lances him or whatever he knocks over all the wood doesn't he and then they all he gets buried in it basically (laughs) so again that's 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 part of the kind of busy work yeah uh, that comes out of a doubtful and conflicted conscience right because you're supposed to be doing things that shows that you're productive you're good good yeah productive because productivity equals and he's he's being productive chopping the wood but it's not doing any good and it just it's like it's almost like his frustration is physically mounting up until it swallows him yeah and i mean and they're right there next to a a wood right so like (laughs) he doesn't need any wood anytime soon because he's there's an easy supply of it but yeah yeah, that's that's a good point actually and then especially since when you say that because like in the end he dies in the woods no not the woods but in in the the wood wood, the chopped wood yeah Yeah. all right we'll we'll leave it at that um do you have any uh, creative projects or musical things you'd like to uh, point listeners towards uh, yeah, you can check out, um, in two bands at the moment, so you can check out the Gildalies on Facebook, you'll hear some bluegrass and country music, and also, uh, you'll also be able to find on Instagram and on Facebook, Cavallo Diavolo, which means Horse of the Devil. Oh, uh, very appropriate. Yeah, not inappropriate. Uh, you can check that out, that that's the band I'm in that plays, Spaghetti Western Soundtrack Music. Most excellent. Don thanks very much for being on the show again. You're welcome very much. Also, one final plug: if anyone uh, likes um, animals that are the opposite of Black Philip, <laughs> i.e., white and cute, you might like to follow my dog's Instagram account at Arnold the Pooch. I'll put all of those things in the in the notes. Thank you kindly. Thank you very much, Donald. All right, thanks for having me on. You've been listening to White Atlantic Weird. Big thanks to my brother Donald for coming on the show this time. There's nothing better than having uh, someone on the show who knows exactly what they're talking about. I've been really lucky, I feel, with some of my guests recently. If you've particularly enjoyed anyone who's been on the show uh, this year or last year, please do reach out to us. Let us know what you enjoyed and what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, We're on Twitter, where we're at Strange Ireland. We're also on Instagram, where we're 
White Atlantic Weird podcast. Just a few things about what's coming up soon. If you enjoyed this episode, we have more witchcraft-related topics coming up. I'm working on a scripted episode about Margaret Murray and the history of the so-called witch cult hypothesis. That is the idea which was taken seriously only very briefly in the late 19th and early 20th century that perhaps um, all of the records of witches from the witch trials of the early modern period uh, that all of those were maybe indications that there were remnants of some sort of pre-christian pagan religion this idea then helped to lead to the creation of what we now know as the modern wicca religion so i have a whole lot to say about that it's going to be a long one but it's taking a lot of time to put together And hopefully I'll have an episode coming out soon also about my trip around Essex and going to different towns and villages which were connected to Matthew Hopkins, the so-called Witchfinder General, and the various witch trials that were happening there. So get in touch, let us know what you'd like to hear more of, and all of that good stuff is coming uh, through the pipeline as soon as we can get it out. Apart from that, uh, get in touch if you want to send us in any uh, inexplicable stories that happen to you. We promise to believe them as long as the evidence is good, and thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing